Welcome to Pharmacy to Dose, the critical care podcast, a partner of the ACCP Critical Care PRN and a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And I'm your host, Nick Peters. And wherever you are and however you are listening, thank you. And this is the trial of the week, where I review a landmark trial that was published this month in medical history. And it's a great one today, folks, because one of the OG guests returns. Excited for UGA C3 member Andrea Sikora to come back on the pod. Uh, we get to hear and review uh, all about her critical care medicine study, the impact of pharmacists to improve patient care in the critically ill a large multi-center analysis using meaningful metrics with the MRC ICU score. So after hearing that, after reading that title, one thing I forgot to mention to Andrew is we've got to create some, some title acronyms uh, as we're going through here. So um, we will be working on that behind the scenes, but this is such a great study uh, for those unfamiliar, right? The, what is the MRC ICU score, right? We we talk about what that is. We highlight the FarmCrit study, which used this same data set. Um, and then we talk about, of course, how you can implement this tool in your hospital, where we go from here. Um, I mean, every time Andrea joins, I learn something new. I can guarantee uh, this will be the case for all here as well. It's time for the September trial of the week. So let's get going. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in for a treat today. Recurring guest, friend of the pod, Andrea Sikora comes back. Now, reminder for new listeners, those who may have forgot, uh, Andrea is a clinical associate professor at the University of Georgia. She is a critical care clinical pharmacist at the Augusta University Medical Center, a federally funded researcher. Uh, she is a published author. That's right. Uh, you can go to Amazon right now uh, and her book, Pay It Forward, A Map to Mentorship in Medicine. So kind of like a one-liner, a warm welcome to the power of mentorship in a healthcare career. And uh, at Andrea Sakura, and you would see all kinds of tips, clips, tricks, um, all the things for mentorship, advice, research. Andrea, I hope I did your intro justice. Welcome back. How are you? I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for that. Wonderful welcome, Nick. Um, now, so excited to review uh, our September trial of the week um, and get into a a study and a tool that is certainly near and dear to your heart. So um, at the core of this featured article today is the medication regimen complexity ICU scoring tool, or as, as will likely probably be referred to it as the MRC ICU. So explain to the listeners, if this, for, for those who may, this may be a new concept, what exactly is this scoring tool? Go into a little bit of the history for us. Yes. So back in the day when I was first starting off as an ICU pharmacist, there was a conversation about whether or not we needed a second medical ICU pharmacist versus if the 
surgical and CT ICU should be split up into multiple rounding teams and so forth. And there was this conversation that was all about the SOFA score and Apache score and number of orders verified. And I was like, okay, so therefore the MICU needs two pharmacists. And although I agreed with the concept, I actually agreed that the MICU did need two pharmacists, I just kept thinking about the fact that there's so much more to life than how sick a patient is. Um, as much as we are in critical care and we think that, you know, the sickest patients are the most interesting, you know, our ambulatory care pharmacist friends are doing really great work and their patients do not have a SOFA score to talk about. Same with cardiology, oncology, everyone else, right? And so I started to think about what is it that makes a critical care pharmacist, what are we really doing? And this kind of gets into cognitive services of what is it that, you know, we're really bringing to this team that goes above and beyond anyone else that could, that could be in this scenario. And so there was a, we did a literature search and we found that there's actually a medication regimen complexity index, MRCI, that was made for the community pharmacist. And I thought, what a neat idea. I wonder if we could adapt that to the ICU. So I added two letters, which is CU, um, to be ICU. And we developed this tool that is basically uh, 38 line items. So it has things like analgesia, sedation, antibiotics, and you get points for each of them. So if you're on vancomycin, you get three points. If you're on a presser, you get two points, if you, you know, and so forth. And so at the end of the point, you have a, a sum uh, of that, so three plus two plus one, and then that patient has that score. And the goal with that was to be quantitative and objective and reproducible. So I could say today I took care of 10 patients with an average MRC score of 15. And you could say, oh, cool, I took care of 20 patients and the average score was 10. And we could have that conversation and know exactly what we're talking about. And if you're curious, right, the, you know, we're going to talk more about the article, but in that, um, supplemental digital content that first table in the word document um, is a visual of the actual scoring tool so you can see all those line items you can see what's what's weighted a little bit more and not and we'll probably get into a little bit of it uh, but just for those visual um, learners or want to keep track at home um, something to kind of point out there how cool of a concept this came out from things that are those are common questions right those aren't those aren't like uncommon scenarios when the pharmacy department right you the critical care team is worked so hard we finally justified that FTE and now you almost feel like it's dark night at the end where they break a pool stick and they throw it in and it's like all right well the the last one surviving gets the other pharmacist so uh, a really cool way to truly have like data to help support it right and and coming from something that actually happened is awesome um so where has this like scoring tool like actually been implemented yeah so I would also say, um, to point to the supplemental index, there is a table that has the tool itself, and there's also a table that has a summary of every study that the MRC uh, ICU has been a part of um, up until the point of publication. So there's a few that are after that. But if you're interested in looking at the evolution of the score and the kind of the very stepwise and thoughtful process that went through to do, we did internal validation, external validation, test, retest. I learned a lot about different uh, score validation processes within this. Um, but the first place to implement uh, the MRCICU was actually Oregon Health Sciences University. Um, wonderful shout out to SCCM. I had, uh, her name is Sandy Rowe. She came up and she goes, I just love this and I would love to talk to you about it. And another friend of the pod happened to be a resident at the time, Andy Webb, uh, got roped into this. So if you go check out that paper with OHSU, it has Sandy and Andy on it both, um, who helped to get the score built into the system. 
And at the time, the concept behind it that they were interested in is there was, you know, COVID was raging at that point. We're dealing with patient surges, staffing shortages, everything else. And what they wanted was a way to help um, in case we needed non-ICU pharmacists to be able to support the ICU pharmacy staff because of these surges. Was there a way that you could say, hey, look at this patient first? And then from there, the critical care pharmacist also kind of incorporated into a prioritization system. So we have that paper out and actually another one that just got accepted to um, Jemiah Open about those, uh, that story. And the, you know, I love that you pointed out um, the studies, right? Table two right below it. And then uh, to make lives just easier for everybody, beautiful reference list right after listing them all. So, you know, we'll, we'll touch on a few of them, but if you're curious, you want to learn more, very, very, literally almost as easy as you can make it other than truly just emailing the article to everybody. Um, Now, looking at these past um, studies, right? And, um, it looks like if I'm kind of right about 11 of them, um, what kind of, uh, from an overview type of perspective, what type of studies were these as we get into our trial of the week study kind of lay the foundation for what kind of evidence did we have before this? Sure. So the first step when you're making a score is does the score do what you want it to do and is it reproducible? So the first study was very much about reproducibility. Of, so that's the test-free test, multiple users, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and the second study uh, was a kind of a corollary question, does it change over time? So we looked at the dynamic of you know admission versus later on. And what we found is it seems to be highest on day one, which I think correlates to people's experience of the the first day is kind of the most wild before we get them tucked in and things like that. So a lot of times you'll see at the MRC score, uh, the prediction modeling that we do is around 24 hours is for that reason. But of course, the whole point of this was, does this relate to patient outcomes and does it relate to uh, pharmacist workload? So there was um, another study that looked at basically does it relate to pharmacist interventions and drug drug interactions? It does uh, via correlation. We did external a small external study to see multiple institutions did it work from that perspective. Um, and then you know the conversation that kind of kept coming up or kept getting kind of put to me when I was trying to go for different funding related to the MRC score was. Well, does it work in the South and the North and out West? And and um, does it work in the medical ICU and the surgical ICU and the neuro ICU? Yeah. And so that was really kind of what what was lacking at that point um, when this study was kind of being put together. And so I was interested in um, trying to figure out how to put this study together. And so at the time, there was also a big interest in basically cost avoidance and what are pharmacists doing. And so I became connected with um, the study team that's associated with PharmCrit and was like, wow, you guys basically have done all this incredible infrastructure. um, And all we would need to do is kind of add the MRC score and some outcomes and we would really be in in a beautiful spot. So the the things that were leading up to this was, does it work in other places and other ICUs? And does it really relate to the outcome, like mortality and length of stay, as well as interventions in this kind of larger setup? Well, let's, uh, let's get to the featured article, our uh, trial of the week. So a 
2022, and it's a critical care medicine article, right? So uh, just published last year in September um, and entitled The Impact of Pharmacists to Improve Patient Care in the Critically Ill, a large multi-center analysis using, using meaningful metrics with the MRC ICU score. So uh, one kind of note was uh, if, you, if you're pulling this article, if you're looking at it, uh, this was a study that was endorsed by the SECM Discovery Network and a work product of the SECM CPP or the Clinical Pharmacy and Pharmacology section. Um, so definitely want to shout out if you pull up the Appendix 1, um, all the authors and their institutions are listed. Lots of SECM members, lots of friends of the pod and, and familiar names that are, that are contributing yeah. this awesome stuff. So definitely wanted to shout out, right, if you look quick glance it looks like there's 38 people right so this is a a huge testament um to just uh the amount of manpower and the research team behind the mrcicu yeah i think that's something i really want to i actually have it highlighted in yellow as the only note that i want to talk about really from this study um everything we're going to talk about with this study was possible because of infrastructure through being involved with the national organization through an incredible core study team that really put together everything that was FarmCrit. And I think that that's really worth uh, noting. But then on top of that, not only is there the 38 authors, but then if you go and look at another supplemental, you'll see another huge list of all the different people that collected data to make this happen. So while I feel that today I can be a spokesperson for this paper, there is no way that a large impactful study like this happens without really a, a national effort, a team effort, and a really thoughtful, coordinated effort. And I really think this is something we need to be thinking of going forward for the profession. So. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, 100%. A, a great and necessary plug. I completely agree. Um, now, this was a, like we pointed out, multi-center. Um, now, it's an observational study collecting data from uh, August 2018 through January 2019. So, um, we've mentioned the FarmCrit study. And so, it was using um, data from those patients, right? Now, that is a 2021 critical care exploration study uh, demonstrating that pharmacists significantly reduced healthcare costs and the cost avoidance on a per dollar basis for every dollar spent. The savings is somewhere between three and nine dollars, right? So, uh, what we, everyone listening should have already known all the great things, but it's always great when you're able to see it published in the in the patients that we're actually treating. Right? So, we're using that uh, data, and the data was retrospectively collected um, through that to then capture patient outcomes and the MRC ICU scores. Now, the this yeah. study had two primary aims um, to evaluate the MRCIC relationship to patient outcomes, number one, and then evaluate the relationship of the MRCIC to pharmacist workload. Because like you mentioned, just having a high patch to your service score sometimes doesn't necessarily capture all that you have to do um, work-wise or, or just in patient care responsibilities with those kinds of patients. Correct. So uh, data from 65 critical care pharmacists, 28 institutions, 
and over 3,900 patients being cared for. So that is just, wow, awesome data. Uh, huge kudos to everybody involved. Uh, it's most commonly from academic institutions. And then the most common ICU was a medical uh, ICU in terms of like the practice site. So Andrew, fill in any gaps um, and then talk about what the what this study uh, ultimately found in its results. Sure. So I think it's, again, I want to highlight this kind of dual primary outcome. So I think anytime we're looking at a score that is supposed to be capturing what a pharmacist does, I think we would dislike if we found that there was no relationship to patient-centered outcomes, to mortality, to length of stay. And I think that that also is really important from a, where are we going as a profession. So as a profession, we're thinking that we want to be valued for our cognitive services. We want to be valued for bringing about a, a culture of evidence-based medication use. And so we're about the patient. So it needs to be related to a patient-centered outcome. And I think that that moves us away from the so-called widget counting that you hear about. Um, so I do think that that was really important. But again, as you said, a high Apache score and pharmacist workload are, are not necessarily one-to-one. -one. And so that was another kind of really important component of what, you know, how are we looking at uh, what a pharmacist does. And so within there, we had two different things. So we had pharmacist interventions. And, you know, interventions people can get cranky with. It's, it's widget counting. It doesn't necessarily capture all the things that I was doing. What happens if I did an intervention every day, but then I make a protocol and now I don't do that intervention anymore? You know, those are some of the limitations, right? So I will, I want to acknowledge that up front, that that is one of the limitations. But one of the ways we tried to work around that within workload was to create a, an intensity score of those interventions. And so different uh, interventions were weighted as higher intensity versus lower intensity. So if you're making, you know, high level decisions on broad spectrum antibiotics, that has a higher score than you're making kind of a simple IV to PO switch on famotidine. And it's not that the famotidine isn't important, but they are different. Um, so I think that those are kind of some key things to, to realize. So uh, I think the really important things to take away from this is that we did um, some univariate and some multivariate analysis. And when we looked at mortality, um, for every kind of one point increase in the MRC score, um, the your odds ratio went up by 9% for your odds of mortality. Um, and that's in an unadjusted analysis. Um, and when it was adjusted, it went up for every one point, you went up 7% increase in your um, mortality odds. And, you know, I think what's interesting is that number kind of plays out in different other studies and different other kind of like preliminary analyses that we look at. And I do like that. So one drug potentially is related to a 7 to 9% increase in mortality. And I found that to be a pretty fascinating um, number to take a look at. Um, with regard to length of stay, we also saw that um, every time that the one-point MRC increase, you also saw an increase in the length of stay. Um, so it took about like four points up to get a full change in one one day, uh, one day length of stay. But I think that's, again, pretty significant. Bancomycin plus insulin potentially, you know, is causing, causing an increase in that stay, not causing, is associated with. Um, and then when we got into interventions, we did see that for every point increase, there was an increase in interventions as well as intensity of interventions. Um, this relationship was a little bit weaker than we had hoped to see. So if you're not um, using uh, beta coefficients as often, so when you look at these kind of like 0.02 increases, what does that mean? So you would need a fair amount increase, like like a full point MRC to see, or sorry, multiple points MRC to see one change in intervention. 
Uh, and I, I don't know if I don't want to get too much into the discussion early, but I think one of the things that we see with this is uh, reporting can be difficult. So was there good reporting in this? So I think that is always a limitation. As much as I think the pharmacists did a great job, I think on the busier days, you can struggle with this. I also think that one thing to realize is we don't necessarily have um, we don't have patient acuity data in here, and I think that that you can that is an important confounder that we didn't uh, collect in this study. So I think it's important that the relationship is there and that we could see it in this multi-center fashion. But we might not have had quite the sample size for the degree of heterogeneity that we were looking at. Hence the the slightly weaker signal. <laughs> well, I mean, you I, I guess to to play the other side, right? You're pointing out the the limitations of interventions, right? If there was a perfect score or things to capture that, I guess we would all be using it, right? And how many of us, right? right? It's there, it's limitations, but it's it's one of those where it's it's unfortunately the hand that we have right now, and we're obviously exploring yeah. and trying to find new things. But um, I would argue that that's most of the time how you're able to capture these things. I think that's appropriate limitations you brought up. I didn't even thought I didn't even thought about the protocol one to be honest with you, um, but I just want to yeah. just. Uh, Defend the the MRC investigator, MRC IC team I, for a little I bit. It. Um, now, I guess where do we like go with this positive data from here? Because um, I know we were looking at um, how it uh, affected pharmacist workload and outcomes, but you know we're this is um, in line with the positive things of a lot of those smaller studies. So how does this? How will this ultimately try to like? What's your thoughts of how this might ultimately make our lives better? in the ICU? So I want to uh, talk about two things with regard to that. One of the other uh, things that we took a look at that was very interesting. So with regard to the MRC score and an interesting finding was that we noticed that when the patients were, when you had, uh, you took care of more patients, you had a higher pharmacist to patient ratio is how I think about a ratio like that, that we noticed that there was a reduced number of interventions reduced intensity of those interventions, and also a longer length of stay. And so, again, this is association, so we cannot necessarily, you know, say this, but there is an interesting story to be had here that when we increase the workload of a pharmacist, you do worse quality care, and that has an impact on a patient-centered outcome. And to me, that was a really exciting thing that I think we all know is true. I think we know when we take care of 50 patients versus 20 it's not as good of a day. And we know, and I think it's satisfying to see that there probably is an impact on patient-centered outcomes. And I feel, I feel like that was a really important signal that we saw. And it's probably one of the most important takeaways from this study is pharmacist workload matters with outcomes. Um, and so if you have not heard about the Optum study that is really looking at this, um, to me, Optum is a direct um, offshoot from this study. Put a plug for the Optum study. Hopefully the listeners are familiar with it, but let them give us a quick kind of blurb as to what that is for those who are who are unfamiliar. Yes. So the Optum study is, I got to give a shout out to Kelly Keith, Susan Smith, and Moshe Hebner, who have been kind of my core team for this, who we are trying to, trying to create a multi-center prospective study Uh, connecting workload, pharmacist workload, to patient-centered outcomes, to mortality, to length of stay, and with a really rigorous design. So we're looking for 30,000 patients in order to be able to take into account ICU type, first day of ICU uh, stay, patient acuity data, uh, all all the things so that we can have a definitive link. And I think we're going to have some really rigorous 
statistical methods, the machine learning methods within that, and really try to help um, define what the critical care pharmacist practice model should look like. So I'm incredibly excited with that. But that I think that study was a direct offshoot of, of this. And I think that's incredibly important to take away that that signal is, is there. Um, and interestingly to me, where MRC score fits in Optum is that it's a covariate. It's a covariate in the model. Um, just like you would have age or sex or Apache score, you would have an MRC score in there to say, okay, this really is important, you know, even regardless of different degrees of medication regimen complexity, the pharmacist workload really does matter. So anyway, I think that is kind of a, a fascinating direction for this. Um, the other thing that I think I took from this is that the MRC, well, maybe two other things. The MRC score shows to me that medications are important. And while you'd say, duh, I'm a pharmacist, of course I know this, um, if you go look at a mortality prediction study, you go pull up how we look at mortality prediction length of state, drugs aren't in there. We don't, and somehow we're blind to the important role of medication. And so I think if you're ever having someone say, what do the pharmacists do? You can say we manage the meds, and the meds are really important, <laughs> so like they're related to mortality. <laughs> and I think, and although that sounds obvious, in speaking with you know, basically NIH study sections and people from the Joint Commission and all of these things. This is actually a relatively novel concept mm -hmm. <laughs> at times in a, a kind of a shocking way. Um, the other thing that I really would love to see is for more implementation studies. I really would like to see how people are using it. Of We implemented the MRC score. We got data over the course of a month or a quarter, and we're going to look at our workload in association to that. And we're going to use that as an objective marker, as opposed to basically what we do now, which is what one pharmacist like, dang, I'm pretty busy. Like, I should probably go talk to someone, right? Like, and it's not that that doesn't work, but I just, I think that there is a lot to a meaningful metric, a metric you can take to your C-suite and say, please look at this, this matters. I don't think this is going to offend anybody. We as pharmacists aren't good at asking for help. We just aren't. By the time you, no. you're actually, by the time you have gone and asked for help, right, you have probably reached your breaking point and that's why you're finally doing it. So that's the only thing of like, by the time we're actually trying to get help, right, it's it's almost like, you know, yeah. uh, adding the second presser when your norepi is at 1.5 mics per kilo per minute, right? And it's like, mm, we probably missed our window, right? So that's, I, I like that you brought that up. What's the process yeah. if you wanted to incorporate this tool? Like you mentioned the uh, hospital and organ. What's, what would, is there a process or anything for how you could implement this tool into like your local hospital or health system like EHR? Yeah. So what's wonderful about OHSU is that they have Epic. And so they built it with an Epic coding and Epic, you can share code. Uh, so if you have an EPIC system, all you would need to do is uh, you can email me, you could email anyone at Oregon Health Sciences. Um, I actually had a group that took this and uh, built it at uh, Children's Hospital of Atlanta to do some pediatric assessments. So it's built there. Um, so it's, uh, it's open source. You're welcome to go build it yourself. Um, but, you know, I think there's two ways to think about this. One is, of course, electronic data pool and electronic build is obviously the most efficient in the long run to be able to do ongoing quality improvement, to use it as part of your workflow. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. But I also think if you were like, you know, I just really would like a baseline assessment, 
you know, as tough as maybe a manual chart pool is or electronic chart pool and adding it up, I do think that for a, you know, a one week, I'm going to get an average for all our different ICUs. I think that could be a valuable data point for a conversation that you're having at a local level about position justification and things like that. But I would love to see it as more part of a, of a electronic health system or health record, uh, just as you might have SOFA or Apache. All of us uh, non-Epic institutions listening just got a little bit sad there for a second. I don't think I that there's a perfect health record for the – I think there's pros and cons to all of them, but the customization yeah. and things is certainly a drawback. Okay, let's uh, – yeah. doom and gloom is over. So how yeah. – um, how like what's the future plans for you know you find this how can either other future research studies incorporate these results or how are you all the mrc icu investigator team looking to build off these results go go any way you want yeah so i think yeah this is a if i could get on my soapbox this would be a call for any listener who is thinking about a workload study or workload optimization i think the mrc tool is an important part of your repertoire for characterizing the workload within your unit and having conversations about position justification. And to me, that's a paper that's been waiting to happen, which is someone says, I've got six ICUs. We ran numbers on these different metrics, including the MRC. We looked at our numbers and we made these changes to workload or we think this is where we need to go. I I mean, I think that is a paper that people need to see and I would love to see happen. Um, Of course, there's just so many hours in the day. So if you're asking why it hasn't happened, it's just a, Unfortunately, there's only so many hours in the day, as much as I love talking and thinking about the MRC score. So I think that's one, you know, I mean, I would say for any listener, I think that's a really valuable thing. Um, And I really think anytime you're thinking about pharmacist, you know, implementation type studies, any of that, I I think the MRC can be valuable as an additional metric. Um, Some of the work that I'm associated with that uh, my team is doing with that's funded through AHRQ has to do more with prediction modeling. So this is stuff where you're using machine learning as well as traditional regression, and you're looking at what predictors are the most important. I think one of the things that is just really fascinating right now is we did some different things with fluid overload, with mechanical ventilation, and it shows up in the machine learning uh, as as a top feature, a top, you know, as something that's really important for how the model is built that medications and the MRC score are important. So I feel like if you're interested in ICU prediction modeling, this potentially has a place um, within those concepts. Um, Trying to think of what else. I think those are probably my two biggest ones at present. Yeah. And if you're, if you're wondering, right. uh, At Andrea Sakura, if if you're like, you know what, I'm just going to reach out to Nick and he can pass it along. I can definitely do that. Um, But I completely agree. That's a, I, that's an appropriate soapbox. Um, Now, You're you're talking about people um, kind of trying to do more research with it. Can can pharmacists still join that MRCICU investigator team? Is our application still open? Uh, is that what <laughs> what's the or is has the uh, has the ship left the um, dock? No, there's always there's always room on the team for someone <laughs> who's interested in advancing the profession. So in this case. Uh, for the MRC investigator team, you know, what was really important about this study and all of the things that went into this was not only was there this core, you know, group that you see in bold on the paper that was, you know, keep organizing the IRB and keeping everyone in line, but there were all the actual data collectors that were helping with this. But then because of SCCM's policy about having a multi-professional authorship team, 
I was connected in with um, different physicians, uh, respiratory therapists, uh, not respiratory, forgive me, dietitians um, that were part of this team. And so it's actually really neat is that um, Ashley DePriest, the dietitian, is really interested in, um, in that workload from her perspective, which is really cool. David Murphy uh, is part of uh, my AHRQ team and has been an absolutely lovely mentor who's had lots of things on this. But there's a lot of people that have along the way have really participated, and I wanted to kind of honor that, um, actually, uh, honor that very much so. But if anyone's interested in the MRC team, yeah, you can at me um, there, or I even have a website that you can click from there that you can go and you can read all the MRC pubs to your heart's delight. You can email me from there. But the reason I try to be that accessible is because I, I think this work is really important and has really important ramifications for our profession going forward. Uh, my other soapbox, you know, we, I'm sure you guys have done a journal club at some point about vitamin C and sepsis, and we go back and forth on whether that study and this and that and the other, right? And yet, you know, we, there's a meta-analysis on pharmacists on rounds, and we're associated with a 20%, 22% reduction in the odds of mortality. Tell me one medication decision you made today that has that type of impact, you know, compared to getting a pharmacist on a, on, on a rounding team. And I think that's really important for us to consider. When you play that game of trying to find like multiple studies that show a medication induced reduction in mortality gets really dicey. Um, yeah, plug away. Um, the, and federally funded researcher, right. That I said in the beginning, uh, friends for those, for those who don't know, that's what AHRQ is, right? The agency for healthcare research and quality. So, uh, the big boys think this is important and, uh, we agree, uh, what awesome, awesome research that you, the whole team, everyone involved has done. Um, glad we got to highlight just a little piece of it. Uh, again, at Andrea Sakura, pay it forward, a map to mentorship and medicine, uh, get that book at Amazon. It's unbelievable. Everyone's looking for like ideas, right? You just had an awesome preceptor, right? Or things like that, right? This is a, a really cool kind of gift idea. Andrea, thanks for coming yeah. back. It had been way too long. The only thing I got to say, you mentioned vitamin C. Normally it's a dollar fine. Your first one's free, but the next time, the next time vitamin C is on, it's going to be where you're going to get a Venmo request for a dollar. I'm just putting, just warning you. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so that's, that's honestly very fair. <laughs> uh, thanks again, Andrea. We appreciate you. Thank you. Another huge thanks to Andrea. She's the best. Uh, let us know your thoughts, right? Andrea at Andrea Sakura uh, at pharmacy to dose, uh, pharmacy to dose at gmail.com if you want to send me an email. Reminder, right? Website's getting a little uh, spring cleaning. I guess you'd say fall, summer cleaning. Um, so. Hang tight. You'll still be able to access the reference list um, and some of the media that gets hosted on that. You just won't be able to actually go to pharmacytodose.com just yet. Um, So big week, right? Four pods in four days. So hopefully everyone enjoys. Reach out. Let me know what you think. But until next time, I'm Nick Peters, and this is Pharmacy to Dose, the critical care podcast. The Critical Care PRN is dedicated to fostering the role of critical care pharmacists as essential members of the multidisciplinary patient care team. The Critical Care PRN's goal is to optimize drug therapy outcomes by promoting excellence and innovation in clinical pharmacy practice, research, and education. For more information, including how to become a member, go to critprn.accp.com. Again, that website is critprn.com.
www.accp.com. The podcast provides general information only and does not offer individualized medical or professional healthcare services, including pharmaceutical advice. The contents and materials in the podcast are not intended to be a substitute for inpatient pharmaceutical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Use of the contents and materials on the podcast does not constitute a pharmacist-patient relationship. As a result, the information in and materials linked to this podcast are applied at the user or patient's own risk. Users and patients should consult their physician or personal healthcare professional. Users or patients should not ignore or delay seeking care because of something they heard on this podcast. In case of an emergency, the user or patient should contact their physician, call 911, or go to the nearest medical emergency facility. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guests should not be interpreted to reflect the official position or policy of ACCP or the critical care PRN. ACP and the critical care parent disclaim any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or any other damages, including without limitation, loss of profits arising out of any use of reference to, reliance on, or inability to use the podcast, its contents, and materials.